You see, I, I look at Eddie Izzard and I just want to vomit. I want to get sick when I see a middle-aged stroke, old-age man sitting there in dreadful makeup and knee-high stiletto boots. I want to get sick. I think that's the natural reaction, the expected reaction from a heterosexual, heterosexual, heteronormative male. Eddie Izzard is no woman. What's wrong with the world? It's five o'clock, by the way. I'm Richie Allen. Welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Radio Show. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now... Here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, he was uh, never funny either, was he, Eddie Izzard, ever in his life. What an awful human being. How are you doing this Tuesday? We're breaking the back of the winter. I did say that the other day, but we really are. A bit of a cold, chilly one here in Salford. But uh, the worst of this current cold snap is over. A bit milder. Uh, There will be more cold snaps before the winter ends, no doubt. I'll be with you for God knows how long. I'm flying solo today. I've lots to talk about, though. And I do hope you'll join in via the website, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live, top of the menu bar. Talk to me, please. And don't hold back. Say what you see. What is Mr. Chips doing? Say what you see. I know. There's another one that you can consign to the dustbin of Richie Allen accents that were absolutely terrible. Impressions. Yeah, I'm in good form. Good day today. Uh, Same day as yesterday, producing this and producing tomorrow's show and Thursday's show. But anyway, yeah, where do I start today? Well, I'll whet your appetite for news with this little nugget. Esther, 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 Esther McVeigh is a former cabinet minister, conservative MP, backbencher these days, put a very interesting question to Health Minister Maria Caulfield this afternoon. Would you like to hear the question? I think you will. Mr Speaker, the Chief Medical Officer recently warned that current non-COVID excess deaths is being driven in part by patients not getting statins or blood pressure medicines during the pandemic. But when looking at the data on statins in openprescribing.net, which is based on monthly NHS prescribing, there appears not to be a drop. So where is the evidence? And if there isn't one, what is causing these excess deaths? Good question. Will the minister commit to an urgent and thorough investigation on the matter? This is a good question now, this, isn't it? Now, Minister Chris Whitty, the Chief Medical Officer, he came and told us that statins, or lack of access to statins, is is a big cause, a big factor in the excess death numbers. But uh, they're not. There's been no drop in people getting access to their statins, which are shit anyway, aren't they? We know this. God, the mainstream media were able to discredit statins three, four years ago. They don't do anything for, for blood pressure. They do nothing for cholesterol. And in fact, it's been proven they do more harm than good. And yet doctors continue to prescribe statins. What's going go, go, going on? I don't know. Great question, though. What is really behind the excess death numbers if Chris Whitty, the big baldy Egypt? The other big baldy Egypt is uh, telling us it's statins and statins. It certainly is not. Here's Maria Caulfield, the health minister. 
Well, we are seeing a, a, an increase in excess deaths in this country, but we're also seeing that in Wales, uh, in Scotland, uh, in Northern Ireland, and across Europe. And there are a range of factors. There is an increase, as we saw um, in December, in the number of people being admitted with flu, with COVID, and with other uh, healthcare conditions. And this is not something that's just seen in this country, but across Europe as well. And she sat down. She effectively repeated that most of that which Esther McVeigh said, and then just sat back down. We seek him here, we seek him there. What is it? What's causing the excess death numbers? Are vaccines playing some part? I reckon they are, but you're not going to get a government minister to talk about the jabs. What do you think? RichieAllen.co.uk, comment live. It's five past, nearly five past the hour. Let's talk about Gaynus and the Church of England, Gaynus. You remember that after five years of consultation on whether to allow gay marriage in the Church of England, that is to allow gay couples get married in church, in a Protestant church, proddy bastards, um, we learned recently that bishops would not be recommending that after five years of scratching their backsides and twiddling their thumbs. No, 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 we won't permit the gays to be married in church. Instead, they recommend that gays who get married outside the church, I should say same-sex couples, to be honest, outside the church can have their marriage blessed by their priest or vicar. You're not getting married here. (laughs) But if you get married somewhere else, you can come in and I will stand over you with a bit of holy water. No, they don't do that, do they, in the Church of England? Holy water. Is that unique to the Catholics? Is that unique to the Catholics? It might be. Anyway, so you can get married outside, get married in a civil ceremony at the registry office, and you can come in and we'll stand over you and say some words in Latin and say that we bless your marriage. This hasn't gone down well with some LGBTQ plus activists. Now, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, was doorstepped by some activists, some MPs even, and Peter Tatchell last night about this. And here is how that went. This is interesting. Can you understand just how painful and insulting it feels when the church will bless dogs and guinea pigs and now has finally deemed... Hang on, hang on. Does the Church of England bless dogs and guinea pigs? I went on the Church of England's website today and I couldn't find any tab at the top of the menu bar to, uh, you know, to read about how I could get my dog or my guinea pig blessed. I, 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 I mean, if it's there, right, but I, I can't find it. So Tatchell says this, yeah. Pigs, and now has finally deemed to bless us, but not give us any more rights than dogs and guinea pigs. No more rights than dogs or guinea pigs. What did Justin Welby say to Peter Tatchell? Yes. But isn't that shameful? It is in a deeply divided church where we managed to get to, but as you know, as well as I do, the church in this country, let alone around the world, and all the global churches are completely divided. It was good that the Archbishop came out to meet us, but he didn't say anything of substance. He didn't move the conversation forward. He just reiterated his stance opposing same-sex marriage. Right, and then Tatchell went on to say... We all said to him, we know there are divisions within the church, but he as the Archbishop of Canterbury, as the leader of the church, has to show leadership. And he has not shown leadership. He has sat on the fence, 
He's not even willing to bless same-sex couples. You know, that's the new policy. The new policy will be that same-sex couples can be blessed in churches. But he himself said he will not do it. He's appeasing those homophobes within the church in the name of church unity. Same-sex couples are barred from marrying in an Anglican church. That is discrimination, and discrimination is not a Christian value. We will come back to that. Tatchell there, Peter Tatchell, human rights guy. Okay, so Welby won't bless gay couples' marriages, even though it's the new policy. One bishop who will do that, and is really excited about doing it, is the Bishop of York. His name is Stephen Cottrell. He's been on Good Morning Britain today, talking about blessing the couples. Blessing the couples. Actually, before we hear that, let's hear a little bit more from the Archbishop of Canterbury, Justin Welby, because late this afternoon, he's given an interview to Sky News' Beth Rigby, and she puts the point about discrimination back to him. So here is the Archbishop of Canterbury again, this time with Sky reporter, Sky, Sky's Chief Political Editor, yes, I think so, or Political Editor Beth Rigby. You've also been accused yourself of discrimination against LGBT people, and I think there was a, a demonstration outside yesterday where you went to talk to people. Now, it's ten years ago today that same-sex marriage bill was passed in the House of Commons, and here we are with the church refusing to back gay marriage. You've personally refused to bless same-sex marriage. Is there an issue of credibility here that on the one hand you're asking for inclusion and better care for the elderly and people in our communities in society, whilst on the other hand you're discriminating against the LGBT community? That's what people might think. That's what people might think. I accept that's what they, people might think. And that's... Uh, they weren't talking about care last night, but the people outside demonstrating, I went out there, um, there's mm. Ben Bradshaw MP mm. and... Jane Ozan leading and Peter Tatchell. And um, they were saying that we got it wrong as a church. There are two things there. First, we have made a huge step, which is to say that if someone is married in a civil marriage, equal marriage to someone of their own gender, um, same-sex marriage, that they can come to church and be have that married marriage recognised and uh, thanked for and um, uh, dedicate themselves to God and seek God's blessing in their lives. Mm. And that's something that we've never done before. And it's controversial. Um, I'm getting equal amount of flack from the other side about having compromised traditional Christian standards. Mm. The second thing... Well, you see, he's overruling, or the Church of England is overruling the word of God. That's a fact if you believe in God, if you are a Christian. It's pretty explicit in the Bible, the word of God, that homosexuality is a great sin, it's an evil, and it is not to be tolerated. So that's why there is controversy around the world. Those are not my opinions now. Let's hear a little bit more from him. It's the Archbishop of York who's going to use these resources that we've published and I, uh, and I'm not, are on exactly the same page. We welcome these resources strongly, but we have slightly different jobs. I'm also the senior bishop in one sense or another, the first mm. among equals, 
around the whole world. Around the world. So he goes on to say that there are places in the world, you know, Protestant churches, where this is very unpopular. So he says that. He, he reiterated that he would not be blessing same-sex marriages. Couples uh, of the same sex who got married outside, then came into the church. He wouldn't be doing it, but the Bishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, would be doing it. As I said, he was on Good Morning Britain today. Let's have a listen to him. The first voice you hear, by the way, will be the former Labour frontbencher, Ed Balls. Yes, I know. Then you will hear the Bishop of York. There is, though, going to be a, a motion in Parliament today um, from MPs led by Ben Bradshaw saying that this should go further, there should be gay marriage. Yeah. Um, and of course, the Archbishop of Canterbury, your co-author in the report, uh, is saying that he won't be doing um, these blessings in church. Could you just explain to our viewers how you feel about this and why the Archbishop of Canterbury would not be choosing himself as the leader of the Church yeah. of England to take an action which you have now said yeah. is a modern view of yeah. gay marriage. So, just before we hear from this guy, the, 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 I nearly said the Duke, the Bishop of York, it is important to point out that it is an outrage that politicians would attempt to legislate, enshrine in law the right of same-sex couples to be married in the Church of England. But that is what is happening. That is an outrage. Let's hear from the Bishop of York. So, so first of all, both the Archbishop of Canterbury and I fully support um, what we're now proposing, which is that people who've entered into a same-sex marriage, people in a civil partnership, can come to church to have that marriage uh, acknowledged. They can, as a couple, receive... And God's you will blessing. do those blessings yourself? Uh, I, I, I will do those. Uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury fully supports that. He also has a role with the worldwide Anglican communion. There, there, is, there is disagreement about this in the Church of England. There's, there's a lot of disagreement across the worldwide church. And so I think he's stepping back from doing them himself for those reasons. But it doesn't mean he doesn't support what the church is doing. And although I know um, there's many people who wish the Church of England was going further, I, I just want to say... I think we're taking a step forward and I'm really pleased uh, that gay people in committed, stable, faithful relationships can have that acknowledged in church. Mm. What made you tearful? Because I've got a lot of gay friends um, uh, and uh, I believe the Christian faith, it's what this report is about. The Christian faith is for everyone. Mm. It's about a vision of living together as one people. But, but you believe the King James Bible is the word of God and in the Bible, the teaching is, is that homosexuality is an abomination. When did you decide, or your bishops who went and consulted, when and how did they decide that they could overrule the word of God? That's what many Christians who do worship, who do go to Church of England churches, Protestant churches, vicarages and whatnot. That's the question some of them, many of them maybe, will be asking themselves. And I want everybody to know that they're welcome and they have a place. I wonder if the Archbishop of Canterbury is a little bit tearful that he can't... But, but not, a, not according to God they're not welcome. According to the teachings of the Bible, they must repent, admit and acknowledge their sin, not continue to live uh, in a same-sex relationship and to... Um, to not to, 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 to divest themselves, really, I suppose, of that lifestyle. It couldn't be any clearer. It couldn't be any clearer. 
there isn't a place in the church for gay men and gay women unless they are about to bend the knee in the confession box. They don't do confession, do they, in the Church of England? And say, right, I've been leading a sinful life. I'm going to stop now and I will amend my ways. Listen to a little bit more of this. I'm sure he is, yeah, and I, but I understand why. But I am, you know, I look forward to being able to welcome gay people more fully into the church, even though I know it's not what everybody... Some, it's not what God wants, is the argument that some are making. Not me, by the way, dear listener, just in case you're wondering. Let's listen again to the last few seconds of what Peter Tatchell had to say outside Welby's residence yesterday before we have a brief discussion on this and what it means. He's appeasing those homophobes within the church in the name of church unity. Same-sex couples are barred from marrying in an Anglican church. That is discrimination. And discrimination is not a Christian value. Yeah, but Christians are not homophobes. Christians believe they are following God's law. And isn't religious freedom, the right to worship, isn't it a fundamental human right? Christians believe the Bible basically contains God's blueprint for humanity. This is paramount, I suppose, to their faith. It's absolutely vital to their faith. So they believe in God, that God created the heavens and the earth, and that God created man and woman, and that God gave them a set of rules and regulations by which they should live their lives. And whether they're right or wrong to believe that is absolutely irrelevant. Christians are not homophobic for believing that gay couples should not be married in church, because they believe they have been instructed by their creator that homosexuality is a sin, you see. And if you're new to this programme, I hate doing this, but I'll be brief, I'll be five seconds. I don't agree with, the, with, with, with Christians and their view of gay men and women at all. But I absolutely believe in the right of people to worship um, for, for, for people's rights or their rights even to, um, to follow their faith and to take instruction and guidance from it. The right to think for yourself is sacrosanct, surely, isn't it? But it isn't these days. It isn't. Now, we get into this sometimes on the programme. I have diligently over the years, going way, way back now, you know, stood up for the rights of people not to be discriminated against in the workplace based on their sexual orientation. A person shouldn't lose... Um, a position or be denied or be turned down for a role they've applied for based on their sexual orientation. I don't believe employers should have that uh, right because it's never going to come up in the workplace, is it? You're never going to have a situation in the workplace where, um, you, know, you know, where it would be justifiable to say, well, um, you're being fired or you're not getting promoted because of your sexuality. But this is, an essentially, this is essentially an attack on the right of people to believe in the divine. Am I wrong to say that? Is that taking it a bit too far? Is that an exaggeration? Is that what Tatchell and his mates are basically saying is that you don't have the right or you shouldn't have the right to believe in the word of God and to follow that. It's an attack on the divine, surely, isn't it? Why would any gay man or woman want to be married in the Church of England. I don't understand that either. It's probably a tiny minority. 
who want to be married in church, I'm guessing that the great majority of gay people who want to be married will do so in a registry office, will do so uh, in a civil partnership type deal. They won't be going to their local church and asking if they can be married there. Thoughts to uh, richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. I'll be really interested in what you have to say about this. This is very important. I remember the last time Tatchell was on this programme was a couple of years ago. He's not been back since. He's turned down a couple of invitations. It was around about the time that some of the newspapers went after some of our guests for coming on this programme. And the last time Tatchell was on with me, we had a pretty heated argument when Tatchell said that it's not okay to think certain things. It's not okay to think, you know, um, that trans women are not women. It's not okay to think that there's something wrong with with homosexuality. And that's where all of this is ultimately leading, I think. It's uh, 21 minutes past the hour. It's, 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 to me, this is tantamount to madness. The word of God is explicit that homosexuality is a sin. I don't believe it is, um, personally. But Christians do believe it's a sin. And why should Christians be compelled to admit, um, to open up a very important religious ceremony to people that have been clearly told are an affront to to the word of God. 21 and a half minutes past the hour. Lots more to come on Tuesday's programme. Let's take a breather with some George Benson. 25 past five, George Benson and Love Ballad on your Richie Allen show. Tuesday's edition, already the 24th of January. Loads of comments on the Church of England. We'll get into those in a moment after these do not go anywhere. Thanks for being with me today, by the way. Hi there, it's Eamon here from Immunex365 and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. I am going to be at Comedy Podcast Live from the 27th to the 29th of January at the Kegworth Hotel in Derby. It'll be me and a bunch of other brilliant free speakers who think what they want to think, say what they think, and really don't give two what anyone else has got to say about it. So do come along and join us. Phil Zimmerman will be there, Andrew Lawrence, Alistair Williams, Right Said Fred. I can promise you a few things. You will laugh, you will feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, comedypodcastlive.com, and I very much look forward to spending time with you there. Richie Allen Show is the world's most popular independent news radio show. Listen on demand via your regular podcast provider. And welcome back. I don't understand, you see, why Justin Welby and other bishops and even priests wouldn't say quite plainly to people like Peter Tatchell, look, this is the word of God. I don't judge you. 
judge not yet, sorry, judge not lest ye be judged. I make no judgment on you, Peter. It is the word of God. It is sacred. Therefore, we will not be opening the church up to same-sex marriages. And, you know, to be a bit, maybe a bit silly, a bit, a bit childish about it, you can rant on all you want about it. This is the word of God as we understand it. And therefore, I'm sorry. You know, but anyway, uh, Stephen says it would appear there is a drive to desexualize the human population, part of the transhumanization program, alleges Stephen. When everyone has had their neurochip implants connected to the 5, 6G, uh, humans will be controlled robotic androids. Yes, madness, technocratic occultism. Steve, try, in my opinion. That is what you think is going to happen. I get it. Try your, in your opinion. You speak with such authority, Stephen. Well, I know you've read that somewhere else. Hi to Scottish Al who says, so the Church of England are going to bend over for Peter Tatchell, pardon the pun, and change their beliefs and teachings of the Bible to appease him. Tatchell has made a career out of stoking up division and seeking out discrimination where it doesn't exist. Faisal says they will say next that Muslim chefs must cook bacon sandwiches if they're asked. Vicky says, is it really discrimination if that is your deep-set religious belief? That's the question. Alan, the base ninja himself, says, didn't man write the texts for the Bible? Not an omnipresent being. Well... The, the first Bible, Moses, was handed down the word of God by God, wasn't he? That's the Hebrew prophet Moses now. Is that right? I am no theologian and the worst person to ask. But that is the story that Moses was given uh, the word of God, the first earthly. But of course, Moses wasn't. Moses was had divinity. What was Moses? He lived to be seven, eight hundred years old, did he, Moses? You've got to do your own research on that. Good comment, though. Brambo says, I've become suspicious of Tatchell's bona fides. He was bona fides. He was firmly behind the Western attempts to topple Assad and has been full square with Zelensky in the fascistic Ukraine in spite of all the evidence that contradicts the Western narratives. I think he's an intelligence asset and determined to drive the globalist assaults upon our social fabric, such as the destruction of core Christian values. Can't see him leading a gay pride march in western Ukraine in front of Nazis nor in ISIS-controlled northeast Syria in front of fundamentalist head choppers, says Brambo. He's an intelligence asset, says Brambo. Do you have any evidence? I know I'm, I'm, I'm winding you up. It is your opinion. Who knows, really? Who knows? Good evening to Chris, who says, Richie, apparently the Office for National Statistics hasn't published any figures for deaths by vaccination since the end of May 2022. And Craig has sent me a very interesting link from the website ChristianCentury.org about blessing animals and why it has become popular, because he did mention this, Tatchell, didn't he? That gay men and women came after the the gerbils and the hamsters and the dogs and the cats. Roman Catholics, particularly in Southern Europe and Latin America, had well-established traditions of blessing animals, but the blessings were associated with St. Anthony Abbot, not with Francis, and they were oriented towards working animals, not pets. You learn something new. Animals, like other foodstuffs, would have been blessed because they fed the community. Religions don't like homosexuality, says Craig, because it doesn't exist in nature, which is a perfectly rational scientific observation. But that's not true that it doesn't exist in nature. 
uh, Craig. I don't have the evidence to hand, but I've read stories about animals, and we know that dogs, male dogs, regularly attempt to mount other male dogs. Like, seriously attempt to do that. Now, look, again, and I certainly wouldn't be any expert in in, in why dogs do what dogs do, even though I've grown up with them. And we, we've had dogs for many years, the future missus and myself. But interesting, that ChristianCentury.org blog on blessing animals. Donnie says it takes them 12 months to create this marvellous, this miracle vaccine. 11 months thereafter, first administering it to the population, they still don't have the data to suggest that they... Uh, that the vaccines do not stop you from catching it or transmitting it. So they sack 40,000 care workers. Figure that one out, says Donny. Good evening to Bruce, who says he's no oil painting, but Eddie Izzard is one but ugly man with an oversized head on narrow shoulders, when in drag he looks truly ridiculous. It's probably... Yeah, it's it's the personality for me more than... So I had a pop at his appearance earlier on, but it's his personality, really. Marcus says, on a happy note, please wish the Banshees of Inish Aaron, a film starring Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson, good luck. It's been nominated for a number of Oscars, hasn't it? Yes, and it's a very good, very strange, very weird, very original film. Is it Seamus McDonough or Martin McDonough? God forgive me. Uh, who wrote this. It's based on a play, isn't it? Correct me if I'm wrong, I'm off to wrong, but it's very good and um, and hilarious in parts. And we were, I was chatting with Jean-Anne Crowley this morning and obviously Jean-Anne is well, well situated to make a comment on the ability or the abilities of actors and actresses being a very fine actress herself and she says, uh, yes, Colin Farrell. Brendan Gleeson goes without saying, but uh, Colin Farrell is very versatile. He really is, isn't he? God, it took me a while to come to appreciate Colin Farrell. Again, maybe it's because of his off-screen antics, maybe, when he first burst on the scene. But he is. He's a good Irishman, as Colin Farrell. So that lots of comments on the, the Church of England and Welby and the, the new approach... No marriage for same-sex couples, but if you come in, we will bless the marriage. And that's not going down well in some circles. And some of you are agreeing with my contention that it is an attack. It might sound a bit hyperbolic, but it is an attack on the right of people to believe in the divine. Is that where they're ultimately going to challenge this? Because there's no other way around it for Tatchell and his mates, unless, of course, the church just acquiesces and collapses in on itself and says, okay, we give in. But if the church doesn't give in and says, no, no gay marriage ever inside church because of the word of God, what is there left for Tatchell and people like him to do? Challenge it in court? Try and prove that God doesn't exist? And that God never said that homosexuality is wrong? You know? I hate this stuff, you know? I really do. And it's so important. I hate this encroachment on the minds of people. This this stampede towards, this attempt, society's attempt, the agenda's attempt to get inside us. You know, to take control of our, of our thoughts. To make us scared, uh, you know, frightened of our thoughts and reluctant to express what we really think for fear of punitive measures, punishment. I've never lied on radio. I never have. I tell the, the truth. Um, I think the idea that homosexuality is a sin, I find it preposterous. 
And you know damn well I'm no virtue signaller. I'm not currying any any votes here, any you know favour with any listeners. I think it's preposterous, personally. But I've no right to tell Christians that they're wrong. You're wrong and I'm right. No, no, no. It's a matter of opinion. And if you believe in the divine, and that the divine has said, look, this is how we should live our lives, and this is right and this is wrong, and you hold that dear to yourself, no man should have any right to, as I said, encroach upon you and demand that you be re-educated and that you recant and that you refuse, that you, you know, that you don't express yourself in that way ever again, again under penalties or under threat of penalties, societal penalties. You know, you can't believe that homosexuality is wrong. You can't. It's terrible. There has to be punishment for that. What will they do if the churches don't bend uh, the knee? And again, I'm going to finish on this point. I don't understand why any gay man or woman would want to be married in the church anyway. The greatest influence on my media career, such as it is, right, it's not the greatest media career ever, was a man called Billy McCarthy, who's no longer with us. He died a few years ago. Billy was a gay man. And he had uh, lived with his partner, Des, for several decades. Two great guys, lovely fellas. Billy was a priest, and apparently he was a very good priest. A very, he apparently was a very, what's the word I'm looking for here? A very, a very sensitive priest. He was very much a community priest. He was a good guy to have around. But he left the priesthood, Billy did, out of, I suppose, some sense of sincerity, of not being able to live the lie, accepting the word of God, you know, says this is not the way you should live your life. Okay, well, I can't be a priest then. I'll go, I'll leave the, the church, I will hand the I will hang up the frock, as it were, and I will go and live another life, which is what he did, got into the media. I'd love to know what he would make of this sort of stuff. Did you see this madness today? I mean, proper madness, this. The island of Jersey has uh, put an advertisement out encouraging women to take up cervical screenings because women are not taking up so many cervical screenings. They're blaming a number of things for this, the so-called pandemic or the scamdemic, as we would call it. They are blaming other things for it. Women are not coming forward. And Jersey, which is the largest of the Channel Islands, of course, is a self-governing dependency of the British Crown. Did you know that? I didn't. I had to look it up. It is not part of the UK and is not represented in UK Parliament. It's important to know that. But the island of Jersey's government account is trying to get women to come forward to have their cervical screening test. Or their cervical screening. This is what was written on Twitter. This is hilarious stuff. If you are a transgender man, a gender non-conforming person or assigned female at birth and with a cervix, you can book your free cervical screening today. Contact your GP or Labaz Centre on 443-781. We are working to make it as comfortable as possible for you. And the Twitter message concluded with a hashtag reading, don't put it off. No mention of the word woman there. If you're a transgender man, a gender non-conforming person or a signed female at birth and with a cervix, you can book your free cervical screening today. And along with this caption was a photograph of a man with facial hair dressed in a suit. 
but in fact it was a transgender man, which is a woman who identifies as a man. You might be asking, what the fuck, right? You'd be well entitled to ask, what the feck? So on GB News this morning with Bev Turner were Sam Lister and Joanna Williams, and they had plenty to say about the Jersey government's cervical screening invitation. Have a listen to this, it's mad stuff. I don't know, because I think, particularly with cervical screening, it's really difficult to get women to go for cervical screening. It's always been a problem. Um, You know, doctors have constantly tried to kind of improve the rates of people taking up cervical screening. screening. So why would you do, if you're trying to encourage women to go for a, a test, smear test, why would you make a really confusing advert. I just don't get it. And if you are a transgender man, or gender non-conforming, as the uh, advert says, you are going to be acutely aware of your needs. Um, and so I don't see why it's being focused towards um, to, to those, those people. Just make it clear, it's, it's, it's about women. You and I think, think that's so. a really simple, yeah. I, I think the problem is the word woman has yeah. become like a dirty word has nowadays, where the word woman itself is considered to be almost transphobic. Uh, I mean, yeah. it, having a cervical smear test for women is so important, you know, absolutely vitally important for a woman's health. And if we can't use the word woman in this context, so many people are going to end up missing out on having these vitally important mm-hmm. medical tests. But, but I think it's not just in this advert. We see it so many times. You know, you, you go to, say, the British Library and it's the women's toilets that have to become the gender-neutral toilets. The men's toilets are still the men's toilets. You know, we've seen this, this erasure of, of women, the word woman, from so many different walks of life. And it, then we've seen other examples recently in the past few days outside the Scottish Parliament with people holding up placards saying decapitate um, turfs, which is a horrible word, really, for women who are feminists who, who believe that yeah. being a woman is a meaningful thing. And and this kind of erasure of women, I think, actually legitimises some of those horrible, Mm. violent responses towards feminists. Mm. Yeah, very interesting that. Listen, on on animals and homosexuality, Craig came back to make the point that homosexuality is attraction to and love of the same sex and then what happens in nature has been, could be categorised and has been as social hierarchical domination acts. The same thing happens in prisons. Yes, I get that, but I am pretty sure that studies have revealed over the years, you might question the legitimacy of some of these studies, but of animals or creatures in, uh, sea creatures even, of the same sex coupling and staying together. Look, I'll have to dig that out. But I hear you. Yes, it goes on in prison and you wouldn't describe you certainly wouldn't describe those who engage in rape in prison as as um, as homosexuals. I, I take the point. The point is well made. Gaz Bob says, if you join the snooker club, you have to follow the rules. Pot the red first and not the brown. <laughs> if you want to pot the brown first, create a new snooker, snooker club even, says Gaz Bob. And herself came back to say, on freedom of thought... I used to mull a bit about racism and be worried about persons who held racist beliefs, which I vehemently disagree with. One day you asked the question, Richie, what are we to do with the racists? Put them in jail. The light dawned on me that I needn't do anything nor worry about it. People will be people with their sometimes stupid ideas and it is all right. Truth to form says herself, you're following the same logic, freedom of thought today. Yes, we talked about that. 
about knowing people that might have views on people from different backgrounds, views that we would find eccentric or maybe foolish or maybe sometimes embarrassing. Yes, we've talked about this before. What do we do with those people? Well, there is a movement, of course, and we see this increasingly, to destroy those people, to exile those people, and to exempt them from from society, from participation, to exempt them, to punish them for not thinking or believing the right thing. And that's a relatively new thing that coincides with the rise of social media, of course, where it's easier to do that to people, to banish them, to exempt them, to humiliate them, because they don't hold the appropriate or accepted view on any given subject. I asked that question. I knew people with frankly racist views. Not many people now. But these were very good people otherwise. And I used to ask myself the question all the time, what do we do? And my my conclusion was, well, you continue to love the person because they're a pretty decent sort outside of their, frankly, embarrassing view about um, about race or their view on a particular topic concerning race. I talked about the great Egidio, my great neighbour, the very, very elderly Italian gentleman who I loved the bones of, an amazing man, was very influential in my life, was very kind to me. But he saw black people as as a lesser species. He wasn't going around shouting this. He certainly wasn't following black people around. He wasn't calling for the, you know, for companies not to employ black people or any of that stuff at all. But this is what he believed. Wound him up terribly one time during the Olympics in 92 or 96. I can't remember which. But an Italian woman won a, an Olympic swimming medal and she was black. And I wound him up so much about it <clears throat> that he didn't speak to me for several days. I think he raised his fist to me. You know, this is a point of view that he held deeply within himself. What do you do with people like that? Herself is right to bring this up again. Do you put them in prison? Do you, as I said, exempt them? Do you say, well, you don't get to participate in society? Why? Because, well, you've repugnant views. The view might be repugnant, but the guy is a family man, a great neighbour, not a criminal, no threat to anybody. You learn to live with people, is what you should do. In my opinion, Chris Morell, how are you doing, Chris? Good to hear from you. I guess this is almost beside the point, but Justin Welby is certainly a globalist. The Church of England takes money from all of the usual suspects, and I'm pretty sure Welby has World Economic Forum and United Nations affiliations. The Pope was slash is the same, uh, following the same agenda, Agenda 21, climate change and all of that, not the word of God. And Banjo says, I bet the gays aren't so eager to get in the confession box. Nobody has taken me up on that, by the way. I do not believe the Church of England worshippers attend confession, do they? It's, it's terrible to be so ignorant, but it's probably the right thing to do is just to admit it. We had... We made our first confession when we went to, when we went through the Irish school system. I was a young boy. I went to St. Saviour's National School in Ballybeg. And my communion teacher was Greg Scanlon, a musician and a, a guy involved in musical societies. He was all right as a teacher, I suppose. My memory 
isn't so great. But we made our communion when, when he was our primary school teacher. We had to make a confession before being allowed to then receive communion on the day of our first Holy Communion. If you're totally ignorant to all of this, communion is, well, it's a bit of a zombie cult, really. I will offend Catholics now, undoubtedly. It's this thing where out comes wine and some wafers and the priest says a prayer and converts, this is a very important ceremony now in Catholicism, converts the wine and the bread into the actual body and blood of Jesus Christ. And then you have some. You ingest the body of Christ and you you drink his blood. Yeah. Yeah. It's still... It's, it's, the, the mind still boggles. So we had to make a confession. And we had to be... We had, we had, we had to practice this stuff. The, the local parish priest in Ballybeg would come to the communion classes and we would do mock confessions so that we would get it right on the day we made our first confession. This is staggering stuff now. And it probably explains my agnosticism, which, you know, I, I changed my mind like I changed my underpants. I'll, I'll be an atheist tomorrow. I'll be an agnostic on Friday week kind of a thing. Madness to subject children. What could a six-year-old have to confess to God? What could you have done? And ultimately you went into the confession box and you sat down and you said to the priest who was in the, it's a partition thing, so he's behind a little wall with a little slot, a little window, and you go in there and you say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned your six years of age. What could you have done? And... Uh, you say, well, in the case of your first confession, you say, it's my first confession. But later on, you would say, it has been a month since my last confession. And then you would say, I didn't love God when? When I forgot to close the door of the rabbit hutch and the rabbit got out and ran all over the place and shat all over the kitchen and me mammy wasn't too happy. You'd have to invent stuff as a child because you had no idea what to say because you didn't commit any sins really. As a child, you couldn't have. What could you have done as a child? I didn't love God when I didn't do me homework last week and the teacher was cross, that sort of stuff. And then you went on and made your first Holy Communion. Why am I talking about this? It's 10 minutes to the top of the air. Jean Anne has confirmed it is Martin McDonough behind the Banshees of Inish Aaron, which is a film, a film, a film, that's very Irish, a film that you must see, I reckon. Oh yeah, because Banjo mentioned the confession box. Rob says, Evening Richie, have you ever done any shows regarding the t Titanic conspiracy? Yes, I have. Many years ago I spoke to a gentleman who wrote a book that said it was a big insurance job swindle. Very interesting. The gentleman who wrote that book I don't think is with, with us anymore. I think he's passed on. But it's really interesting, Rob. It uh, might be worth revisiting someday for the crack. Patrick reckons, in his opinion, that religions are mind control organisations, including the dogma of Christianity and other non-classified religions like atheism, communism and other belief systems which do not acknowledge the universal natural law and the creator, a.k.a. God. Very good. Okay. Chris the Gardener says, I think the word marriage traditionally means a union between a man and a woman. 
So the definition, therefore, of the word has changed already to accommodate gay people. Why is it then so important to get married in church? It seems to me that there is a clear contradiction between the Bible and the whole concept of, of living as a homosexual. Isabel says, about same-sex couples being given the right to marry in a church, one can wonder whether the brackets deliberate attack is on Christians or is it on religion itself? That's what I said, Isabel, an attack on the belief in the divine, attacking the right to believe in the divine, which is a very personal thing, which people experience and believe and can feel that connection to God. Dismissing what the Bible teaches is not just dismissing its followers, it's dismissing its teachings as well. I truly believe there is an agenda against all forms of faith and religion in general, says Isabel. Very good. Josh says church like pubs were a perfect place where people could congregate. Sadly, that is no longer the case. Mentioning Jean Ann Crowley, uh, one of the things that she was most dismayed about during the COVID scam, particularly early on, we're talking March, April, May, June of 2020, was the complete failure of churches in Ireland and the capitulation of churches to governments and to local authorities. She was disgusted, and I totally understand why, the churches closed their doors on their parishioners. Yeah, we talked about that in depth with John Waters, the great journalist who I must give uh, drop an email to to get back on this programme. Lots more to talk about. The sarcastic window cleaner says, Richie, I thought of you today. I saw a traffic warden, not even police, a woman done up like feckin' special forces, all in black, six-inch tactical boots, tucked into black combat trousers and black cap. She looked like a SWAT team, for feck's sake. I just looked at her and shook my head. Is that is that right? Because we've talked about that on the programme, how the police have increasingly become more and more like the military, at least aesthetically, at least in terms of how... Uh, they look and what they wear. It's time for another tune back with more news on Tuesday's edition of Your Richie Allen Show. This is the Ramones and Baby I Love You. The time is six and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Tuesday's programme. Thanks for being with me. The Ramones and the Baby I Love You on the Richie Allen Show. That is a cover version, of course, but then you knew that, didn't you? I was thinking to myself today as I was thinking about what I was going to be talking about, I thought to myself that political correctness or wokery, it must be the most mentally exhausting thing ever, right? I mean, think about it, constantly suppressing your natural instinct to search for the most appropriate and virtuous thing to say. That must be exhausting. And it also must be, it's something that must lead to, well, anger, I would imagine, that frustration, that tiredness, that mental fatigue. You have something to say, or you feel a certain way about something, but you've got to hold off suppress that instinct, think about the appropriate thing and the virtuous thing to say, and then say it. It must be exhausting. It is a wonderfully liberating thing to say what you like, without a filter, although that's probably not true. It's unfair to say 
without a filter. There are times when I'm about to say something and I do remind myself that it is a professionally produced radio programme. It is uh, in the early evening and there may be children listening, so it wouldn't be true to say no filter. But is it, do you get that point? How utterly exhausting it must be to 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 try and show yourself to be to prove yourself to be a virtuous a decent person and you are demonstrating that to people that you'll probably never meet in your life it is a what a development what a development what a time to be a student of human moves what is happening to 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 people the human condition mad stuff isn't it and on that um, would-be Conservative Party MPs are being offered unconscious bias training where they're told that white resentment is a significant problem for ethnic minorities. Now that sounds good, that, doesn't it? It sounds like progress. It sounds like the ethnic minorities have the problem. They've got a, you know, a stick up their backsides for want of a better way of putting it. But no, white resentment is defined as when white employees dare to suggest that equality and diversity training is no longer required because, well, firstly, I don't need it because I don't have any discriminatory discriminatory thoughts about my colleagues of colour. I just don't, really. An unconscious bias is a load of pseudo-scientific bollocks, so, no, I won't be taking part, right? Um... And apparently that's, or, or you might suggest that that um, diversity training gives an advantage to ethnic minority people, that it gives them an advantage, that they it promotes positive discrimination. But um, no, the ethnic minority doesn't have the problem. You have the problem for thinking like that. Now, the Telegraph have been all over this. It's funny because the Conservative Party has gone to great lengths to explain, to lie, and say this is no longer a thing. But it is a thing. Uh, Woke diversity courses for civil servants. Similar workshops being offered to Tory candidates via the party's online training platform. The Tories said that they would phase this out back in 2020, but it continues. The Conservative Party's training platform describes unconscious bias as being when you, quote, discriminate against one group or person without being aware of your actions End quote, and it goes on to talk about microaggressions. <laughs> Looking at somebody in a way that makes them uncomfortable. This is all very subjective, of course. It's all it all comes down to the minority person and their interpretation of everything. Your interpretation as the majority culture or majority um, race, for want of a better way of putting it, doesn't matter if the ethnic minority person says, well, this is how I feel about it. Well, tough shit, Paddy. We, we've got to go with that, basically, you know. Microaggressions include asking, are you able to sit out in the sun as long without any sunscreen? But who would ask that of a black person? Nobody is, is, is my guess, but anyway... Another example of unconscious bias cited in this training is the mispronunciation of colleagues' names. That's unconscious bias. You make a mistake. You've, you're working with somebody from Africa or maybe from Asia. And they've got a massive name maybe. Or even a short name. 
but the name contains letters which in the Oxford Dictionary letters which never appear next to one another you haven't a Scooby-Doo how to pronounce that name but you make a good go of it anyway <laughs> okay it could be argued that you might ask the person excuse me I'm looking at your name badge there and for the life of me I don't know how to pronounce that would you help me out but, uh, but if you make a go at it and you're wrong that's unconscious bias candidates are given these are Tory candidates Tories who want to be MPs now a list of terminologies and their definitions to study including gender fluid non-binary affirmed gender pan-gender and polygender Telegraph today and this made me laugh spoke about this with a number of people today the Edinburgh University Savoy Opera Group is putting on Jesus Christ Superstar yes I had a part in that St. Saviour's School Greg Scanlon, the musical teacher, our class put on a synopsized version of Jesus Christ Superstar. And I was Jesus in it. No, I wasn't Jesus. No, I wasn't. No, no. No. The principal's son, Niall, was Jesus. I was one of the apostles. I had only one line in the whole thing and I forgot it. The line was, where are you going? This is after the resurrection. Jesus comes back. Not a mark on him. No, he did have marks on him. He did. He had the crucifixion marks. And then he said something to his Jesus. And off he went. And my job was supposed to be, where are you going? There's one of those comic moments that can only happen with children. Thank God there were no camcorders. And you could hear, at the back of the hall, you could hear the whispers on stage. Richie. Richie. It's you. All right. Where are you going? And that was it. That was, that was, that was it, basically. Yes. Um, anyway, Edinburgh University Savoy Opera Group. Launching today the world's first gender-neutral production of the rock opera Jesus Christ Superstar. Fabulous. It's all good. <laughs> yes. Jesus will be played by a non-binary actor. It's a woman. It's just an absolute... It's a woman. It's an idiot. A woman who's an idiot. A non-binary. You're a woman. We can see you're a woman. But then, maybe not. Maybe... The non-binary used to be a trans person. I have no idea. But a non-binary will play our Lord, or the Son of God, while um, Judas Iscariot and the Twelve Apostles will be portrayed by actresses or non-binaries. Now, I was thinking this today. Are there not anti-discrimination laws at the UK's universities? Scotland's universities? Are men being discriminated against here? Because Jesus, well... Jesus is divine, right? So he was in the guise, he came in the guise of a man, of a human man. But um, surely they're, they're in breach of some, or falling foul of some anti-discrimination rules and regulations. But they're doing it anyway. This has been approved and licensed by Andrew Lloyd Webber himself. But, but, and this did make me laugh, but Lloyd Webber explicitly, I love that word, has explicitly forbidden the production crew from changing the lyrics and the pronouns. <laughs> Meaning that Mary Magdalene, who is played by Sophia Procolo, will sing, I don't know how to love him about Jesus, rather than, I don't know how to love them. They wanted to change it for walkery. Must be exhausting. It must be exhausting. It must be stressful living these lives. So Andrew Lloyd Webber said, yes, go ahead. Go on. Do it if you like. Put your non-binary people into the uh, into the roles, into the major roles, but you're not to change. Under any circumstances, you must not change the words of my songs.
Let's talk a moment or chat a moment, shall we? I, I'm going to read some comments. I'll read some comments now. Then we'll chat a moment about Ukraine. The time is six minutes past six this Tuesday. Dean's tag. Yeah, it's the 24th of January 2021. Comment, by the way, via the website where it says comment live. How straightforward is that? It's pretty simple. So it is. Al says, does that apply to Eastern Europeans? Because some of their names are hard to pronounce for us English speakers. I'm thinking Vladik, Borislav and Gregorj, for example. How did I do there, Al? I think I did pretty well, to be honest. Did I? I think I did okay. Yeah, I'd be inclined to ask. I'd be inclined to say, look, I can't. That is gibberish to me. Would you explain to me how I pronounce your surname? Or your Christian name? Could you be in trouble for that? Could you tell me what your Christian name is? I'm not a Christian. You've offended me. Busy says, um, if you're fed up of the daily bullshit, if you want to laugh and a few hours to spare, Elvis found alive from 2012. It was 10 times more educational than the latest movie. Well, the Weekly World News was was a publication, it might still exist, which you would find next to the checkouts if you went to your supermarket. And it had a lot of bizarre stories, some satirical, some just silly. And many's the time we picked up the Weekly World News, there was a story contained within about the discovery of Elvis. <laughs> Bridget says, no confessions in the Church of England. Thank you, Bridget. I was raised a Catholic and went to school at a convent which took in all faiths. The non-Catholics used to get very annoyed with us, as in their view, we could do what we liked and confess it all on a Saturday. All good. Eamon has been on. I've been listening to Richie for two years now and also contributed. Thank you, Eamon. Now he's insulting Catholics in a way, <coughs> excuse me, he'd never insult his Abrahamic accountants. It seems no matter how clued into the current madness uh, socialists are, they can't help themselves and ultimately revert to their narrow, bigoted selves. Slaves to anyone who gives them a discount for services rendered. But, but Eamon, that's just pathetic bollocks, isn't it? You don't know anything about me or my relationship with my Jewish accountants. You know nothing about it. And nothing I said about Catholicism is bigoted uh, or, or, or in any way offensive unless you choose to take offence to it. You might have heard me say, Eamon, that I was raised with no concession given by me, of course, no permission granted by me. I was raised in the Catholic Church. I'm entitled to my opinion on it and its rituals. You're entitled to take offence, I suppose, if uh, that's what you choose to do. But um, it's bollocks to say uh, that socialists are slaves to anyone who gives them a discount for services rendered. You know nothing about my tax affairs or my tax bills from my accountants. Behave yourself. Grow up, I would say. Catch yourself on, I would say. Wayne says, the first council of Nicaea, which met in 325 AD, chose which manuscripts went in the Orthodox Bible and probably amended certain passages. They then literally buried dozens of Gospels, several, which were several of which were found in the early 20th century. It's possible th th the, the original Gospels had a different view on homosexuality. Who knows? Though you are right in that there is no ambiguity in the Bible, as we have known it for hundreds of years. I've read many of the missing Gospels a long time ago, but I don't recall anything that goes against the official Bible 
on this subject. He goes on to say he believes it's a part of a deliberate attack on tradition, faith and people's rights to believe what they like. That's true. Craig says, as I know Jordan Maxwell pointed out, certain letters over time have been used interchangeably. O and U is one example, so is I and E. So religion and then re Legion. It's also worth noting that a lot of the little accents over letters have disappeared over time that also change the way words are pronounced. The proper term for those accents is uh, diacritics, he says. Hi to Clifton. How you doing, Clifton? He says, Richie, hope you're well. City West Dublin Hotel. City West Hotel in Dublin last night. Chaos. Algerians fighting Somalians. Three hospitalised. Hotel is equipped to accommodate 370. There were over 800 people living there. Almost all young males. Lucky Kambule of the Movement of Asylum Seekers in Ireland said uh, the reasons for the violence was because of overcrowding and uh, place people, placing people of different cultures together. So, says Clifton, multiculturalism doesn't work uh, according to Lucky, uh, the NGO. It's amazing to me, Clifton, to see this go on. It is astonishing. And I will, of course, present myself as naive in the extreme when I say when people gently attempt to raise this subject on the Irish airwaves, they are instantly denounced as some sort of grubby little bigot or xenophobe or or even racist. I, I know, I hear you. And I have picked this up, this subject up in the recent past with people uh, on the programme. And I will be returning to this again. In fact, I was only talking about it this morning with my oft-mentioned friend about covering this issue. This is gaslighting, you see. You open the doors of a country to everybody and anybody. And of course, I've never been against controlled immigration in my life. Never. In fact, I'm an idealist. I want to live in a world where none of this really matters. A world without Klaus Schwab. I should have music playing behind me now, shouldn't I? Shall I find the music I'm looking for? And played for the laugh. Um, but, you know, a world where people can travel freely and experience countries and experience cultures, regardless of where they come from. You know, that's how I would have always seen things. But, but I know that immigration has been weaponized by certain agendas and the people behind them. And they gaslight people. They do these things. They allow um, large groups of young men enter countries like Ireland from Eastern Europe and from elsewhere. This has a profoundly negative effect on people's lives in the areas where these men come. These men are human beings. If I'm God's creature, they're God's creatures too. And if we go back to God and, and my agnosticism, if God exists, God taught us to love one another and to be charitable. That's great. But what governments are doing and groups like the European Union, groups like the World Economic Forum and their subsidiary groups and their think tanks, they are opening the doors. What happens is you get areas then where this has a terribly negative effect on people because their lives become more difficult. They are poorer financially than they were and they can see this happening. And the thing that really gets to them is the gaslighting by their politicians and by their media who tell them that you're just a bunch of racist bastards. I see this. I've seen it in the UK. 
Remember, I used to be that lefty a long time ago. When I was on radio in Waterford, when Tremor and then later other seaside towns were... I'm going to say the word, it's, it's, it's considered to be negative and have negative connotations, but they were flooded with people from East Africa and from other parts of the world. And the, the services were unable to cope with this. The jobs were not there. And this had a terribly negative effect on people, indigenous people, Irish people living in these places. But I did that thing, you see, in my, in my kind of later days on, on radio there. I didn't gaslight people in the way the media is doing it. No, I did not. But I would have allowed people be... I would have allowed my presenter to ask people were they racist without badgering him into saying, well, hang on a second, these people have a... These are our neighbours and friends and they have a point here. Clifton is right. It's, it's insane. But, you know, what are you going to do about it? I, I think I commend the people who do speak up because it does have societal consequences and it can result in you losing your income if not losing your job standing up and saying, what the hell is going on here? Why have we opened the door? Why? I mean, at, at, we're nearly a year into this Ukraine conflict in inverted commas, right? Ireland said from day one, as many, we'll, we'll allow as many as want to come in. That's what the Zen Taoiseach said, Micheál Martin, who's the Tornish to now in this ridiculous deal between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. He said, as many want to come here, we, we, we'll open the doors to them. Well, well, hang on a second. You've bankrupted the country by going along with the lockstep orders of the World Health Organization. You've locked the country down, done irreparable damage to the economy, borrowed billions. You're, you're, you're taxing the life out of people. Jobs are on the decline. Services getting access to doctors and getting into hospitals for, for treatment for you know, for ongoing, for chronic conditions, all of these things are becoming more difficult. And you're actually fucking opening the door now to maybe a city or two. You know, if you, if you, if you, if you look at the numbers, you're creating cities in a country that you are starving of the funding it needs to do the basics by people anyway. You can't do the basics for people the, the proper services, and you're really opening the doors now to tens of thousands of people. It's a legitimate question. It's a legitimate thing to challenge that. It's right and proper to, to ask questions about it. People get labelled, and this is not news to you, this has been happening since forever, as racist, as, as, as xenophobic. It's uh, 17 minutes past the hour. And speaking of that, little segue into Ukraine and what's really going on there, because I really don't know what's going on in Ukraine. Listen to this BBC story on Germany and tanks and providing tanks for Ukraine to, to, um, to better enable it to fight off the, the Russian invasion. Listen to this, BBC News at 1 today.
Hello and welcome to BBC News. The NATO Secretary-General has met Germany's new Defence Minister, Boris Pistorius, in Berlin, as Germany remains under pressure over the supply of tanks to Ukraine. After the meeting, the two men said they had discussed the issue of battle tanks, but a decision still hadn't been made. According to export rules, Germany has to give permission for any German-made tanks to be exported, even if they're owned by other countries. Poland has now sent an official request and Germany has acknowledged it. This is what NATO's Secretary-General had to say. Before we hear what Stoltenberg, Jens Stoltenberg, has to say from NATO, you get the story now, don't you? Germany sells tanks. But even if you own Germany's tanks, you must get licence from the German government to move them on. So if you want to give your tanks to another country... Or, yeah, if you want to present your tanks to another state, you must go back to the Germans. And that's what this is all about, right? Let's hear what Jens Stoltenberg from NATO says. Consultations among allies will continue, and I'm confident that we will have a solution soon. Germany plays a key role in our alliance. The Seitenwende announced by Chancellor Scholz is historic with a special 100 billion euro uh, defense fund for fifth generation aircraft, new helicopters, ships, tanks and ammunition. 100 billion euro. 100 billion euro to be spent on ships and tanks and airplanes. Um, to fight off who exactly? Who's the invader at the gates of Europe that, and don't say Russia, I don't believe this to be honest, who, who are you spending? Why do you see the need to spend 100 billion euro on tanks and ammunition? What exactly are you scared of? Who's going to invade Europe? You'll never hear that question on the BBC. Jens Stoltenberg, well, our Berlin correspondent Damien McGuinness told us more. Poland's moved to officially request Berlin to allow... Warsaw to send its own German-made battle tanks to Ukraine will further increase the pressure on German Chancellor Olaf Scholz. That's because Mr Scholz and the German government has to agree to any German-made tanks being re-exported to Ukraine. That's according to the export guidelines and rules. The problem is that until now, uh, the Chancellor and the German government could say, well, we haven't received a request, so we don't have to make a decision now. That request has come in from Poland. So the pressure is going to be further, even bigger, on Mr Scholz to say what he wants to do. Mm. The pressure is coming down hard on Chancellor Scholz to say yes to Poland. You can send those tanks onto Ukraine. Nobody is trying to broker a resolution to what's been going on in Ukraine. Nobody's calling for a truce or an entente cordiale. Nobody. To stop the madness and the financial fallout as a result of the madness of what's happening in Ukraine or allegedly happening. Nobody. And the prolonging of this is impoverishing more and more people in Europe, in the UK and in Ireland, predominantly. The world gets poorer while the biggest corporations in the world become more better off. So the situation suits the World Economic Forum Great Reset Agenda. Is there a, is there a relationship between those two things? Nobody is calling for an end to this. Nobody. Nobody is saying, I will mediate. Tell you what, let's end this. Ukraine must accept that Russia cannot tolerate it joining NATO. Ukraine must accept that.
Russia must pay some reparations for the damages in the invasion. If we believe the official narrative of the invasion, right? Let's work, work something out about eastern Ukraine. Let's work something out. But let's have a truce now. Let's sit down and then sign a binding treaty. This does nobody any good. So let's stop this now. We will mediate. But nobody's saying that. And I wonder, is that related to the fact that what's going on in Ukraine, and I don't know what's going on there, but, but, but the result of what is allegedly going on there is impoverishment. And this suits the World Economic Forum's Great Reset Agenda. Doesn't it? Doesn't it really? And that's the thing. I said to Michael Rivero, and Michael did send me footage, but it was very old footage of battles. And even the footage Michael sent me from Ukraine, it just showed a big lorry with some very big missiles firing them into the distance. But I don't know what they were firing them at. Or who was on the receiving end of these missiles. It's a wag the dog thing for me. I'm not saying I believe this now tacitly. I'm not saying that I believe wholeheartedly that the entire war is fake. I'm not saying that. Jesus, no, I'm not. Don't uh, misunderstand me. But I'm leaving room for the possibility that something like that is going on. I don't believe Vladimir Putin is an angel. I don't believe Vladimir Putin isn't subject to control. What is going on there? Your thoughts, please, richieallen.co.uk, where it says, comment live. Nobody, not a journalist, not a anti-war campaigner of any note is saying, not a diplomat, not a bureaucrat, not a president, not a minister of state is saying, right, let's see, can we broker some solution here now? Nobody. And the situation expedites the agendas we've talked about for years on this programme. Is that a coincidence? You tell me, richieallen.co.uk. 24 minutes to the top of the hour. Back with some more for you in a moment. Hi there, it's Eamon here from Immunex365 and I just want to give you a quick update for the new year. We are now in the depths of winter and due to the lack of adequate sunlight, it is also the time when those of us living in the Northern Hemisphere have the lowest levels of vitamin D in our bodies. If there is ever a time to give your immune system a boost, it is probably now. Also, I'm really happy to be able to tell you that not only have we been able to substantially reduce the price of Immunex 365 since we launched in October last, but we can now supply directly to Ireland. For details of how each of the supplements in Immunex 365 are formulated to work together and protect you from colds, flu and other respiratory diseases this winter, just head over to immunex365.co.uk. I am going to be at Comedy Podcast Live from the 27th to the 29th of January at the Kegworth Hotel in Derby. It'll be me and a bunch of other brilliant free speakers who think what they want to think, say what they think, and really don't give two what anyone else has got to say about it. So do come along and join us. Phil Zimmerman will be there, Andrew Lawrence, Alistair Williams, Right Said Fred. I can promise you a few things. You will laugh, you will feel better, and you will realise that you're not alone. So do grab your tickets, comedypodcastlive.com. And I very much look forward to spending time with you there. Listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. And it's uh, 25 and a half minutes past the hour this Tuesday. Thank you for your comments. I'm going to read some more and then I'm going to move on and talk about something else. Just think about that. Have you seen Wag the Dog, by the way? 
It's a very interesting film in light of things that have happened in our world in the last two, two and a half decades. Uh, thank you, Steve T, for pasting, copying and pasting a speech by Vladimir Putin. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> really appreciate that. I don't have time to read that now, but thank you. Um, Craig says, the green agenda, green is the colour of spring, of rebirth, of resurrection, of the natural order, resetting. Green is made up of two primary colours, blue and yellow, which are the colours of the Ukrainian flag. Does that mean something? Maybe it does. Hi to Elizabeth who says, I wonder if this has hit the news in the UK or elsewhere. As of today, the European Union has ruled that food companies can include insect flour in food products. You see, Elizabeth, again, you learn something new. I have never heard the term insect flour. It will not need to be marked on the product, so you'll have to check the ingredient list for the Latin names of these insects. It'll be incorporated in baked goods, sauces, dry mixes, etc. I just learned a Dutch company, Protix, is the largest insect food manufacturer in the world. Incidentally, a major food hub is establishing in the Netherlands, in a place called Wageningen, I think you pronounce that. Is that right? Wageningen. I, urban legend or truth, I read many moons ago that the average bar of chocolate contains the legs for some reason, the legs or the carcasses, but the legs maybe, of several insects. Is that right? Is that right or is that just, is that just urban legend? I don't know. Uh, yeah, let me scroll down. Josh says you just have to look at the recent census results in England and Wales to see the great damage that mass migration has done. Well, Josh, the census results will tell you about the change in the demographics, of course, and the ethnic makeup of each town and each village. But it's really kind of on the at the coal face, if you want to put it that way. It's 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 booking that appointment. It's getting to see that specialist. It's getting that good place in a good school for your child. That's where people tend to really notice it. But yeah, look, if you look at the census, you will see how the makeup of the country has changed ethnically in the last two to three years. Excuse me, two to three decades. Anto says, you don't leave your women and children behind. I think it's fair to say nobody does that. These groups of men must be armies, platoons of some sort. Is that why? I've heard this said before, and I know that a a particular truther has made some hysterical allegations about migrants coming in to ultimately act as some sort of army, eventually to working on behalf, on behalf even of uh, the World Economic Forum. And of course, the truther is backed this up with nothing, with no evidence whatsoever. You know, that contained within the migrant flows are men who are going to, to, to kind of congregate at some stage in the future and act as kind of stormtroopers for these agendas, for Agenda 2030, the Great Reset. But the truther is a clickbait guy, in my opinion, and has, well, I know he's presented no evidence to support this. He says that he has been told by somebody involved which is bullshit, in my opinion. But anyway, that's just in my opinion. Pandora says, whilst I cannot recall the Scouse comic's name, I will never forget the tale of his son's primary school role as Joseph in the Nativity play, 
when the innkeeper tells him, there's no room at the inn, my son, uh, clearly, like father, suddenly says, no room, no room, but we've booked, slaying the entire play and parent audience. Fantastic. You'd have to do the accent, wouldn't you? Of course you would. Absolutely. Thank you for these comments, by the way. Let me scroll on down. Okay. MK Ultra is listening. Now, I wonder is it the real MK Ultra? Richie, in my opinion, if they can get the major religions to bend to these woke ideas, well then they've won. If the church will go against its uh, own dogma and state that it's suddenly fine with gay marriage or trans people, how can any one of us who do not agree, how can we speak out without consequences? And then MK Ultra says, destroy family, destroy faith, destroy society. I'm an atheist and I have gay friends, but no way should they be allowed to force Christians or any other religion um, to uh, go against the teachings of their God. That's a good point and made this earlier on. It is madness to me that these bishops would, would pander to gay and lesbian rights activists. It is maddening to me that Justin Welby wouldn't calmly say, we believe this is the word of God, Peter. I don't judge you because I'm forbidden to do so, but God tells us that it is a sin. So we cannot join you in holy matrimony because God says we shouldn't do that. Have a nice rest of your evening, Peter, and I wish you all the very best. It's as simple as that. But they don't, do they? They don't say that. Listen, give over, Peter. (laughs) It's time for another tune. 28 minutes to the top of the hour. More chat after this. Rita Coolidge, that was Octopussy, wasn't it? Roger Moore, Octopussy, yes. Can't say that enough times. All time high from the James Bond collection on your BBG, the Richie Allen Show. My my friend Christine in Limavady says, Richie, before Vatican II, children didn't make their confessions until they were 12, which really makes more sense, in my opinion, from your friend Christine. But Christine, with the utmost respect, although Eamon didn't think so, um. Even at 12, what could you need to confess to God? I don't mean to be flippant now, but John Venables, maybe. How old were those lads who murdered uh, Jamie Bulger? Ten, were they? I mean, that's different, right? That's, that's so sinister and spooky, I'm not even going to continue down that path. They've been back in the news again lately. But I can't think of what a 12-year-old would need to confess to God through a priest. And that's these are the things that I noticed growing up in, in Ireland that I didn't like, that I thought were bizarre. I mentioned the communion earlier on, and Eamon didn't like this at all. Made out that I wouldn't be taking the mickey out of Judaism. But I did, uh, and I'll dig it out, by the way, to prove it. I did um, what I thought was a pretty hysterical sketch on the rabbi and the circumcision. I took the unmerciful piss out of that. In the past, I'm, I I say what I think, whatever comes into my mind at, at any given time, with a little bit of a filter. 
and I mentioned, I'm certainly not trying to cause any offence to, to anybody, but these are my opinions. I think these rituals are a bit silly. You know, I, I never believed for a second that the wafer I was being presented by the priest was in fact the, the, the body, the flesh of, of, of God, of Jesus, or that the wine was his blood. I just didn't believe it. I don't believe it to this day. Am I not entitled to say that? But um, I've also seen so much good done over the years by Catholic priests. Look, I covered, during my time in Radio in Ireland, I covered the never-ending scandals, you know, clerical sexual abuse in Ireland. We covered it because we had to cover it as it emerged and, it, and the scale of it became more apparent. But I never took any, you know, I never had anything against the church. The church never did me any harm. When I went to Mass as a child, because, I don't know why, because I was a pretty quiet kid, but they used to ask me to bring up the gifts, you know, the bread and the wine. And you would do that from the back of the church and walk up through the centre aisle and present the gifts to the police, to, to the police, excuse me, to the priest. I would do stuff, as some, sometimes I would be called upon to do a reading, even as a young boy, because I read well, because I suppose I was a bit loud. So I, I participated in these rituals. I'm certainly not denying the existence of God because I don't know. But these are strange things to me. And uh, no, certainly no offence is, is meant. I've ripped the piss out of all of them, including Islam. Um, but I won't be burning the Quran anytime soon. Not that I, I, there wouldn't be any reason why I would do that. But yeah, that's the one you have to be a bit careful about. 22 minutes to the top of the hour. And there are more comments on this. I'll read them. And then I want to finish with... Uh, don't panic, I'm with you till seven. It's going to take me a while to do my last story. I've been following a story about um, an abscondment, if such a term exists. It does, doesn't it? To abscond of uh, a couple with a baby. You might have been following this. I want to talk about this in a moment because I've been following it for about two weeks now. And I've tried to find a way into covering it on the show, but I've not been able to do so. I bet you're intrigued. I'll tell you in a moment. I'll tell you in a moment, calm down, calm down. It's uh, Tuesday's Richie Allen show. Lovely. Allen thinks it might have been John Bishop, uh, the comedian in question. Rob says, on the ethnic change here in this country, I was watching some old test matches the other day when England won the Ashes in 2005 and the whole England team was white. Now, I watched a recent T20 match and a lot of the English team was uh, Middle Eastern looking, says Rob. If it wasn't for the team kits, you could be mistaken for thinking it was India playing Pakistan. Not racist at all, just an observation I made while watching. Now, Rob, you don't have to say not racist at all. You don't have to put the prefix on. Don't do that. I'm, I don't believe you are racist. I don't assume that people are racist just because they make observations. That is interesting. The 2005 Ashes got me into cricket. It's when I fell in love with the sport. I watched every single test match and I was at Old Trafford for the Old Trafford test all five days. And um, yeah, yeah. I cannot think of a gentleman of colour who played for England in 2005. Monty Panesar. Monty came a bit later, didn't he, Rob? Yes, absolutely. Patrick says um, the debacle in Ukraine might be a multifaceted psyop, but the neocons in the West have roots as Kazarian Mafia. 
talked a little bit about this with Tony Gosling last night and they hate the Russians because they helped eliminate the Kazarians in the 1200s. Thank you, Patrick. Oh yeah, listen, I, I don't hold firmly to any viewpoint. I'm well open. Because I'm, I'm wrong so often. Of course my theory that the Ukraine situation is some sort of psyop, of course I'm wide open to my theory being a load of old bollocks. Yes, absolutely. Present your proof, Reggie. I have none. I have none. And I do occasionally chide. I do occasionally take the gentle Mickey out of people who say that everything is a psyop or a staged event. So there's a bit of irony there. No, I'm not holding firm to that viewpoint. I don't believe it as fact, as 100%, but I suspect something is going on there. Hi to Michael McKenna. How are you doing, Michael? He said, God knows if it is true, Richie, but great if someone is standing up to it. And thanks for the kind words about the show, uh, Michael. He sent me a screen grab of the headline, which says, Breaking, NHS director confirms hospitals lied about cause of death to create illusion of COVID pandemic. And this is written by Rhoda Wilson last week, but it doesn't say on the screen grab what the publication is. But thanks, Michael. Would be nice if it was, a, you know, an established newspaper, wouldn't it? Okay. Let's, let's, um, let's talk about this. I've been following this for over a week, for two weeks. It's a very interesting story about a couple who disappeared with a newborn baby, a baby that was only 24 or 36 hours old. Have you been following this? Because the woman involved, her name is Constance Martin, and she's connected, is this Constance Martin. She's got kind of aristocratic connections in, in her family, in her you know, in her grandparents and uncles and aunts. This is a woman who comes from nobility, I think. And she is with a gentleman who spent 20 years in prison in Florida for kidnap and battery, served his time. She somehow ended up living with this gentleman. She gave birth to a baby and then she absconded. Now, now what does that mean, absconded? This is the thing that gets me. Tell you what I'll do. Let me play you the Sky News report on this this afternoon, and then I'll share my tuppence worth with you. It's, um, I think this is a, a very disturbing story for a couple of reasons. Listen. Our police have today released new photos of a couple and their newborn baby who are still missing, revealing that they uh, believe they've been sleeping in a tent in these sub-zero temperatures. Well, the last official sighting of Constance Martin and Mark Gordon and their newborn was on Brick Lane in East London. That was on the evening of Saturday, the 7th of January. Gordon has served 20 years in prison in the US after being convicted in Florida of kidnapping and sexual battery. Police in the UK now say that he was seen buying camping gear before they went missing. Well, Skies, Emma Birchley is in the newsroom. Um, so this couple missing since the beginning of the month. Police appealing for more information uh, given these new uh, pictures they released. 
Yes, and there is understandable concern that this newborn baby and uh, the two adults could be sleeping in sub-zero temperatures in a tent. And that is because in these latest pictures that have been revealed, Mark Gordon is seen going uh, into a, a, an Argos store. He's no Let me skip on a bit because they talk about him going into an Argos store to buy camping equipment, this guy, right? You're following this. And for three hours they walked around the Whitechapel area before disappearing off up Brick Lane uh, at 10pm that evening. And the, the reason that police had become concerned um, was after the car of this couple was found uh, burning on the M61 at Junction 4 on the 5th of January. Now, when the police investigated, they found that the couple had been seen leaving uh, the motorway, but it's thought at that stage that they had recently had a baby that constantly Martin, 35 years old, had a day or so before given birth uh, to a baby. They then got a taxi to Liverpool and, believe it or not, then all the way to the other side of the country to Harwich in the early hours of the 6th. They were seen around that area, also in Colchester, before heading then to East Ham in East London. The this is some story now, isn't it? So you have this couple, Constance Martin and Mark Gordon, he, I think, is American and did time, or maybe he isn't, but he spent um, two decades in jail for kidnap and battery. Served his time, whatever you might think of his crimes, and kidnap and battery, that's pretty sinister, if he did in, indeed commit those crimes. The American justice system, well, can be hilarious at the best of times, right? So they have a baby, they get in a car and they leg it. They go on the run. I've been doing everything I can. I've been reaching out to sources. I've been doing this show a long time. We've talked about forced adoption on this programme for a long time. And I've reached out to people and asked them to, if they do bump into this couple, somehow to, to let them know that I'd be very interested in speaking to them. So they have the baby and they obviously have the baby at home. And there isn't a... A, a, a midwife present presumably or maybe they knew a midwife who came and helped with the delivery and then they got their skates on and got the hell out of Dodge their car was found abandoned and on fire for some reason it hasn't been established that they set fire to the car they got a taxi to Liverpool and then seemed to be able to get a taxi all the way across the other side of the country and they are still at large why is the police after them? And this is interesting. Why did they leave? That's obviously question number one, the most important question, the really important question. Why did they feel they needed to leave? Is it because they didn't want to register the baby? Does it have something to do with the health care that would be offered to the baby that they maybe were a bit suspicious about? Has it something to do with their religious persuasion? I don't know, but it seems that the, the thing that is concerning the police most is that the baby wasn't seen by a health professional. They keep repeating this, the police, they're doing these press conferences, which are not being picked up by national media, or they weren't, but they are now, where they're talking about they are worried about the health of the baby and the mother. We want to know if the baby was born prematurely or went full term. But is it any of their business? That's the question, and, and it might be. You might say, yes, it is, Richie. But why are they on the run? And why are they being pursued? 
in the manner they are being pursued because this I've been following this for two weeks and each day it's getting more and more and more media I haven't mentioned it on the programme because I've been trying to get somebody on to talk about it it's believed their belongings were destroyed in the car fire let's hear a little bit more from the Sky presenter following day and that was where police were up to with this investigation but now these new images uh, showing uh, them having been in the Whitechapel area and having been and bought camping gear and we have now had a statement from Detective Superintendent uh, Lewis Basford who's leading the investigation for the police. He said no child, especially a tiny newborn baby, should be forced to endure such dangerous, potentially life-threatening conditions. It could be that they're trying to blend in with homeless communities either here in London or further afield, or they could be camping in more rural or wooded areas. They could be absolutely anywhere in the country. Please keep your eyes peeled. There is a real urgency to this because of the cold temperatures and because of the fact that neither Constance nor her newborn baby have been checked over by health professionals uh, since the birth of the child. So a real urgency and anyone with information being urged to come forward. Jean Ann reckons this woman might be dead, Constance Martin. Maybe it's not they, maybe he is a repeat offender in terms of the kidnapping. Of course you've got to keep that in mind as as, as a legitimate possibility. Of course I should have said that, but but to me it's obvious. Jean Ann is right to make this point, of course. It could be that she's being kidnapped or she is moving around with this guy under duress. It could be the thing. But maybe, for some reason or other, they didn't want health visitors or, or social workers uh, getting involved with the child. And that prompted the absconding, maybe. It's a fascinating story. I should have made the point that early on, and, and it must be said, and now the police in their briefings haven't given any indication that they are concerned that she is under duress, that she is um, being held against her own will by this man with whom she seems to have had a baby. And I think if the police were, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but if that was something they were considering, maybe they would be pretty vocal about that. They might say, we're very concerned about this woman because of this guy's criminal record. But they're not. They're focusing on the, 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 the well-being of the, of the baby and the mother because they weren't checked by health visitors after the, after the birth. It's a fascinating one. And I've been, like I said, I've been keeping an eye on this now for the past fortnight. And in this age where the country is basically littered with CCTV cameras and everybody's carrying a phone around making TikTok videos. It's kind of amazing, really, that so far they've managed to to avoid being detained, which lends some credibility maybe to Jean Anne's theory that something terribly, terribly bad has, has happened. So something terrible has, has occurred and, and, and the woman... Is maybe in, is in, is in a terrible situation, but I don't know. We we've seen these things over the years on the Richie Allen show. You know, we've seen these things on the show, where people are given an indication. Now the police say that, I think they have said the police early on that it wasn't known that the woman was pregnant. Now that might be true. It might not be true. That it wasn't known. 
that she was pregnant, that this baby came out of the blue. And I know that some of our listeners who are big into these types of things, you know, birth certificates, you know, um, and what they really mean and how significant they are and the symbolism and, and the ownership and all of that stuff, they will go down that road. And, you know, I think I, I understand why they will go down that road. But what a story this is. You have these people, this convicted criminal who served his time with a woman who's got nobility connections. She, she does. You can look this up, Constance Martin. A baby is born. Within 24, 36 hours, they're on the run. They've been followed now. They are on the run. It doesn't mean that she's not his prisoner. She might be. But they're on the run and now they've bought camping equipment and it's an amazing uh, story, this, you know, I'm very interested in it again because of these stories we've covered over the years where the state, through health visitors, through social workers, I'm saying this, children have been taken off mothers when they have given birth. It's happened many a time. And they blame the risk of future emotional harm. We need to remove this child because the mum has got mental health problems or because the mum is a recovering addict or because the mum has been hanging out with bad guys. That's the thing. We know, because I've interviewed them on this programme over the years, women who had their children taken from them because of their relationships with people deemed to be unsuitable, deemed not appropriate for children to be around. This has gone on, this stuff, in the secret family courts in the UK, which is something that very few people know anything about. Ian Joseph, great Englishman living in France, has been of great help for many years for to help women escape, to get out of this country and get to a safe country before their baby is taken, before her baby is, uh, is taken. So that's a really interesting, intriguing story, isn't it? And if I had to have a punt on it, and again, Jean-Anne might be right, of course, what do I know? But if I had to have a punt on it, they've gone on the run because they believed the child was going to be taken away from them for some reason. That would be my best uh, guess on that. And I suppose it'll all come out eventually if and when these people are 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 caught, if they catch up with them. Uh, Constance Martin and Mark Gordon, yeah. Speculation is all it is. Um, but yeah, I hope she's not this guy's prisoner and he's not forcing her and the baby, you know, to live in a tent with him somewhere underground or or wherever. I mean, that'll be absolutely dreadful. But but if she's on the run with him because they believed the state or they believed that the state was coming to, to take the child, well, that's, that's something worth talking about, I think. So, yeah. Abdel says it's even possible it's a false flag event to implement the chipping of babies. Thanks, Abdel. Bill says if only the police went to such lengths to catch burglars, muggers, rapists, etc., this country would be in a better shape. That's a good point, Bill. That's a point well made. Elizabeth came back to say, clearly we need millions more cameras to check up on everyone. Agnes says, sinister story about that couple. Something is very wrong there. Thank you, Agnes. Faisal says, why would a couple with a baby go to those lengths to evade the authorities? Good question, Faisal, and that's what leads me to think they were terrified of the authorities. But again, maybe not. This guy was in jail for 20 years for kidnapping battery. 
And if he did kidnap and batter someone, he's... Eh. Unless he found... Unless he found God or found religion in prison. I mean, I wouldn't be hanging around with somebody now who kidnapped somebody and battered them, resulting in a 20-year prison sentence. Wouldn't be my choice of somebody to go to the cricket with, to the T20, you know. But that is just me. I've rambled on with you today for two hours. Thank you for listening to me. I really appreciate you. I'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday. I will have guests for you and Thursday with Wednesday's programme tomorrow at 5 o'clock UK time. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the comments. I really appreciate it. Uh, Very interesting points made by you today. Uh, Good stuff. And Eamon, I love you anyway. Thanks for commenting uh, today. Closing out the programme with Aztec Camera. Look after yourselves and one another. Until tomorrow, bye.